Side Hustle Show 319. This is Master, Multiply, and Monetize Your Message. How the Survival Podcast grew from one guy ranting on his commute to a thriving community and business, and how it's helping the host achieve immortality. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you're already an entrepreneur. Your day job just might be your only client so far. Today, I'm excited to welcome Jack Spearco to the show. Jack is a little bit of a legend in the podcasting space, and he's built a really cool and unique business on the back of his show, which of course started as a side hustle. Actually, it started with him recording the first episodes on his commute to and from work. He's been hosting the Survival Podcast for 10 years, which for more than 2,300 episodes has covered topics related to modern survival, things like growing your own food, generating your own power, and of course, starting your own business. Jack has built an incredibly loyal and active listener base over that time. So we're going to peel back how he did that, see what tactics you can borrow there, and the unique, no extra content required membership site model that drives 90% of his revenue. You'll find the full text summary for this episode, plus links to all the resources mentioned at sidehustlenation.com slash jack. As the CEO of your own life, you know that busy doesn't always equal effective. And along those lines, I want to invite you to join the 24 million people who are using our sponsor, FreshBooks.com, to get less busy with their bookkeeping and more effective. FreshBooks is the number one invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for side hustlers, freelancers, and consultants. It's simple, intuitive. I've been a customer for years. Side Hustle Show listeners can try it free for 30 days. No catch, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Jack after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. I started doing the show in my car. June 20th, 2008 was the first episode. And after about a week, I decided I was going to keep doing it because it was fun. I'd get home and I didn't want to punch a hole in the wall anymore. <laughs> That's always a bonus. <laughs> yeah. And so within a couple months, I was like, this is really getting some traction. I only had a couple hundred listeners, but I'm like, I could tell I was finally doing what I really was meant to do. And it was letting me do what I always really enjoyed most, which was teach. And at the same time, I could tell that it was going to scale. I didn't know what the revenue model was going to be yet, but I kind of took my people on a ride with it. After a while, I decided I was going to do it full time. And I started telling people that on the air and kind of got them on board with the whole concept of if you want this show to become what can become, then I need your support and share it with other people. And about a year into it, I was ready to walk away and actually take it full time in, in a year. So I ended up going full time after 18 months and it was that January then that I did my first episode where I was actually in a studio, if you want to call it that. It was an extra room in my house. But the whole first 18 months was done in a 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI, which I called my personal mobile studio. And there was a guy, Chris Future. Chris Future was the guy way back in the day doing like a libertarian-themed podcast. And he was doing it in his car. And I'm like, he can do it in his car. I can do it in my car. So that's kind of how it all started. All right. There was some precedence for it. Did you do anything to sound treat the windows or anything? Or is it just you rolling down the freeway? It was me rolling down the freeway. And the sound actually got pretty good. Like the first couple episodes, I had this crappy little multifunction. It was a camera. It was an audio recorder. I didn't even have a microphone. It had a built-in microphone. I just had it sitting in my lap. 
and that was just to see how this all this whole thing worked. You can still go back and listen. I didn't take it down or anything. That episode's still there. But then within about a week, I went out and spent a whopping 20 bucks on a Plantronics headset, and I bought a little Sony MP3 recorder. Once I did that, the audio actually got pretty decent. It's not the level that it is now with a condenser mic and all that. But nobody was like, I can't understand you. I can't hear you. I'd get one here and there that would complain about the audio. And I'm like, well, then you're not listening to the message. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about all the people that like what I'm doing and kind of dig the whole kind of gorilla level of podcasting. Do you think that level of production would fly today in the era of all these like really highly produced NPR style narrative shows? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I still get requests like, when you go on vacation, why don't you do a road trip one? And I still have occasionally done stuff. I've done rapid fire Q&A when I've had like a co-pilot in the vehicle with me, where we'll have people feed me questions on Facebook while I'm driving and I'll rapid fire answer them. And people love it. I mean, even now, I'll warn your audience, you might hear my granddaughter cry any minute or one of the dogs bark or something. I don't strive for audio perfection. I strive for the quality of the content itself. And that's what's most important. Just think about it this way. If somebody was talking like this, you'd want to kill yourself. And you'd be like, please say what you have to say. And you, you'd tune them out pretty quick. But if you were sitting on a donor list waiting for a heart, and that person was going, the very next heart will be given to. You're paying attention to every word because the information is important to you. So I think it's the quality of delivery. I think it's how important the information is to your audience. I think if you want to do a sports podcast reviewing NFL games or something, I think you might need to worry a little bit more about production quality. But if you're doing kind of a variety show and really talking to people, I think you can get away with it. Well, let's talk about the content itself because the ability to monologue for 50 miles is a skill unto itself. That's a skill that I definitely don't have. And that's why I do an interview show primarily. So how did you know what to talk about? What was that? I'm trying to picture you driving down the freeway 10 years ago, talking into this little headset mic and making this little radio show. So you'd think it'd be hard to come up with something to talk about every day. First, let's go back to my professional career. I came up in the world of sales and marketing, and I was the regional sales vice president for a company called Fluke Networks for quite a few years for the Northeast region. And I would have to go talk to 500 people about testing cables and explaining concepts like near and far end crosstalk. If you can make that interesting, you can make it. I mean, that is literally the most dull thing. So I had spent my whole life doing public speaking. Some of it wasn't quite that dull, but I I learned to become a dynamic speaker so that they would like ask you back and people would buy stuff. So I had the skill set of being a presenter anyway. And then the topics were centered around, I did modern survivalism, but this is at a point in time where if I would have called it something like the lifestyle design podcast, nobody would have listened to it. But the concept of survivalism and prepping was really coming into its own at that point. So that was a hook. But I had an incredible broad breadth of space to go across. There was a little more current events and politicky stuff like that in the beginning, just because there was always something new out there. But I tried to make most of the content as evergreen as possible. And then the beauty of it is, as you build an audience, they'll just keep, you, you know from doing it yourself, they'll feed you, like, who's going to be your next guest? Well, I'm probably going to be told who my next guest is by the audience. Now, after 18 months of doing that, it was very nice to be able to transition to where I could do an interview or two a week. That does make things easier, as you know. But right now, the way I run on a scheduled programming, on Mondays, I do a listener feedback show. So the audience creates that for me. So I'll get four or 500 emails and 
pull out 10 of them and I'll, I'll address those emails. That could be some current events, some news. It could be direct questions. You know, what kind of gun do I buy? How do I grow my garden? You name it. Tuesdays, I do. I still do a monologue show. I do a standalone show on whatever I'm interested on that particular day. Some days that show has a week of prep into it. Some days like today, 10 minutes before I started working on it, I was text messaging one of my expert council members. She said, why don't you do something on libertarianism and self-ownership? I'm like, I can do that. So I just created that show on the fly. And 18 months doing it in a car made it where I was able to do that. Wednesdays, I do an interview show. So I'll have a guest on. Thursdays, I do a listener call show. I have an 800 number that people call and a thing called SpeakPipe. So people call their questions in. That's easy because you pull out the question, you record an answer, you drop it into your editor, and you spit it out at the end. And then Friday's my coaster show, right? I decided over time I wanted a day where I didn't have to work so hard. I found all these great guests over the years, and, and some of them had been on enough times. I moved them into something I call the expert council. And so people will send in questions for them. I have a guy that like professionally builds off-grid solar houses. I have a person that is big into side hustles and and does a coffee business and web design and stuff like that. I have a person that's a full-time farmer. I have a person that's a vet. I have a person that's a doctor. So we'll have questions come in for all these people, and I'll pull out about six of those a week, and I'll take one question myself that day. And so that day's real easy because I'll just like, we have a question for Doc Bones on dealing with Scuridona or whatever, and just drop his his deal. And so it turned into this, but yeah, in the beginning, it was just... What can I talk about? And the audience never let me down once there was one with ideas, thoughts, and things to talk about. How did you find those first couple hundred listeners? So iTunes was really a beneficial platform to be on. I think it still is, but at the time, it was the podcast platform. So within like a week, I got approved by the iTunes police or whoever they are, and I started to pick people up right away. But I mean, it was like a dozen a week, two dozen a week, something like that. And so that was kind of a natural thing. There was a, a, a social media sort of kind of thing back then called Stumble Upon. I don't know if they're still around, but they actually had a survivalist category. And they allowed demographic targeting like males, 21 to 45. You know, it was perfect. And it was cheap. And it was like a plug-in to like a browser where you'd, just, you'd say, I like these 10 different things. And you'd click it, and it would just randomly show you stuff. I used that. I used Google AdWords at the time. I would spend... Oh, a hundred bucks a month buying a little bit of traffic. And so that just gave me a base to work with. Then I took that base and realized the most powerful thing I had was those people. And on sales, we said the only reason you go into a cold market is to get into another person's warm market. So how do I get into these folks' warm market? So, you know, once we got a couple hundred people listening regularly, you knew you had that core group. I started a contest, listener appreciation contest. I said, if you'll fill out this other form other than the one to be on the email list, I'll just use that as a a database. And at the end of this year, if we had a thousand listeners, I'll pull somebody randomly off that list and I'll give them an iPod. That's how long ago this is. And I'll engrave it with be an ant, not a grasshopper from me. So then people got on board with that. And it was a great link building campaign because most people didn't go tell their brother. They went onto a forum or a blog or something. Said I've been listening to this guy at the survival podcast. Well, next thing you know, I'm number one for survival podcasting. Google, the organic effect takes over. In that first six months to that end of the year when we did that contest, we hit 2,500 listeners. And by the end of the next year, we were at 25,000. And by the time we hit that, I didn't really do any conventional marketing ever again. I did social media, 
Facebook and Twitter. I have a YouTube channel and I kind of see like, I don't consider myself a YouTuber, but I put content there because it funnels people in. And it's been all organic growth since then. And we're at a point now where we get about 200,000 daily downloads, which is fairly significant size of a population of a city. I think you're being modest. That's ginormous for a podcast. That's awesome. And 10 years running. It's, it's not just the raw number thing. It's the community model that we built. The responsiveness of my audience is, I think, what is different than a lot of podcasts that maybe even have more listeners. People have a million downloads, but how responsive are those people? Or do they just have you in the queue and they listen to your 15-minute thing? So we have our average sponsor has been with us eight years. Eight years as a sponsor of a podcast. And that's just not something that generally happens, but it's because the audience is so responsive and so loyal. I built our old school PHP style forum back in the day. I don't touch that. I let the administrators, they monetize it. Whatever they can make, they can make. I don't touch that. I set up our Facebook group. I got out of the way. And all these other groups we set up, I've got out of the way. We started a nonprofit to do disaster response. I put a good board in place. I got out of the way. And I let these communities develop their own life. And that all feeds back into the primary community. So it's this community sub-community model that if you said, well, how, how would you build this in 2008? I would have went, I don't know. But as the opportunities came, I was smart enough to realize this is what you can do. Now, look, see those people over there doing stuff? Let them alone. Get out of the way. Let them do that. And, and that's really, I think, the unique piece that is the TSP community and sub-communities. You know, I've, I've seen it firsthand. I was actually a member of your community who was like, hey, this guy talks a lot about side hustles. You should reach out. I was like, okay. And I've seen that firsthand. And actually, since that appearance, I've gotten a couple notes. <laughs> Somebody was like, it was Christmas morning when I found out my two favorite hosts were on the same show. That's awesome. I really like this listener appreciation contest. The first couple hundred people, so the directory and iTunes, a little bit of ad money at the beginning to kind of get some initial earbuds tuning in and then saying, okay, if these people are into it, they probably have friends that are into it, or they're probably part of other embedded communities that would be into this message, that would be into this content. How can I take advantage of their networks and doing it with a contest? I like the, well, it ended up being a good SEO or link building strategy as well, too. I think that's kind of cool, a good way to leverage those people who got in on the ground floor. Now they feel like they're cool. They're sharing a movement. They're sharing something that is going to be helpful for their peers. Was the show making money at the time that you felt comfortable going full-time with it? Yeah, it was by then. The first six months, I didn't take a dime out of it. I actually had some people that were like wanting to do donations. and Some of them, we did try to run a little small event that ended up getting canceled because of some logistics. And because of that, some people found out my PayPal account. And some people just sent me money. I sent it back. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a charity. I don't want to do a donation tip jar type thing. I'll figure something out. At about six months into it, I had, right from the beginning, actually, I had our first sponsor, Safecastle, who's now, this January, will be with us 10 years. They wanted to sponsor me back when I had like 200 listeners. And I was like, no, I'm not, no. Because if I take your money and I don't perform, you're not going to be happy. So in January, when I had a couple thousand listeners, I went to them and I said, look, I'll do this. I'm not promising a lot. I got to charge at least a couple hundred bucks a month or it doesn't make sense to do it. And they were fine with that. They said, like, we know where this is going. And I came up with a sponsor model that I still don't think anybody else is doing. I took all my moderators in my forum and I made them a listener ad council. And I said, when I get a prospective sponsor, I'm going to basically consider you guys a wolf pack. I'm going to throw them to you. And you get 48 hours to destroy them. 
Look up BBB, look up other forums, look up online reputation. And if you guys, if two out of, there's like 20, and if two or more of you say no, doesn't matter what I think, I won't take them. And that made it a really unique thing. Like you had to qualify. And I'm not saying you think the product's overpriced. I want to give you a little guidance here, but do they take care of their customers? Do they have a bad reputation? Is what they're selling snake oil? And it took that responsibility out of my hands. That idea actually came from a Mother Earth news magazine, believe it or not. I was sitting there reading one of those because there's a lot of good kind of homesteading content in those magazines. And obviously, as a podcaster in that space, I want to know what everything I can. And somebody wrote in a letter that basically admonished them because they always have this cigarette company advertising all natural cigarettes. And they didn't think that really fit the Mother Earth news image very well. And you can debate whether it does or not. I didn't like the response. The response was, well, we sell advertising, and as long as the company's legal and legitimate, we're not implying endorsement by selling them advertising. And I was like, no, you kind of are. That's kind of exactly what you're doing is you're implying endorsements. I don't want to endorse anybody that sucks or doesn't meet with our ideals or is not going to take care of my customers. So we had this little bit of sponsor income, and with what I was selling it for back then, it was about $24,000 a year. And I did that for a while, and then... Because I sold out the sponsorships like almost immediately as soon as I launched that program. Because people that were listening were in the space and going, I want to be part of this. And then it worked. And then I was building the audience. And at some point, I'm like, okay, I need this is never going to pay the bills in of itself. This is gas money. How do I grow this? And I kept getting these companies. I want to be a sponsor. I want to be a sponsor. I want to be a sponsor. I'm like, well, I can't have 50 sponsors. It dilutes the value of being a sponsor. So I came up with my membership program, and I started going back. First, I went to all my sponsors because I wanted them to have first crack. I'm like, would you be willing to do a discount for my best customers? And anybody with a brain that understands incremental revenue is like, yes. So I created this private membership site where, among other things, you get discount codes to sponsors and what we call MSV partners, member support brigade, MSV partners, if they're not official sponsors. And so then I could take all these companies that wanted to do business with us and go, can you do 5%? Can you do 10? You know, what can you do? Free shipping on orders over this. So then I built that program. And when I launched that program in the first four days, we did $20,000 in business. And that's when I went, okay, no more of this misery at work. I'm done. And I did it for a few months to make sure it wasn't just like a blip that would go away and make sure it was sustainable because we were doing annual, monthly, or quarterly membership. And most people were doing annual. So it was like, Will this come back? Will we keep selling? And we did. So that's when I approached my partners about two months into that program and said, I want to go away. So I did that other six months. By the time I actually left, I wasn't making as much with the podcast as I was with my business, but I was making a good, solid six-figure income. So it was a pretty easy decision to walk away. Yeah, and it's awesome to have built that. I'm thinking summer 2009, like it's pretty dark times in terms of the economy. So you built your own income stream. Kind of good in my space though, right? That's why the survival thing was like... Yeah, you, you hit that right. You hit that timing right perfectly. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards 
work trips, client meetings, industry conferences. With Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the other thing we did, though, is we created this concept of modern survivalism, and that term's everywhere now. But I wanted a hook that was mine that I could legitimately claim. So I started coming up with different ideas for what to call what we did to differentiate it from hiding in a bunker. And when I came up with modern survivalism, I'm like, that's – so I went on Google and did the quotation where you're looking for an exact match. And I found one exact match. The sentence ended with modern and started with survivalism. So it wasn't – it wasn't even really a phrase. And I'm like, okay, that's my thing. And we latched onto that. And that let us go beyond storing food and, and hiding from the Blue Helmet UN troops, right? So that we could talk about things like building a business. One of the most liberating things you can do. The reason I'm so passionate about that is I've experienced it multiple times in multiple ways in my life. And I know that nothing will give you more freedom and independence than having something of yours that you own that you control. So right away, we started talking about building businesses and adding marketing to your life. And if you didn't build a business, treating your job like you were a contractor, even if you weren't, you only had one customer. And how did you diversify out of that? And we talked about building a resilient life. And there's a lot that goes into that that's right in the core of the prepper space. But there's so much more than that. And turned into homesteading and permaculture and gardening and aquaponics and solar energy. And it's really kind of amazing how to make fuel that you actually burn in a car and how to make fuel that you might accidentally spill in your mouth if you get my drift. Let's go back to this membership program. This is the support brigade. Yep. Is this a program for listeners or for sponsors? Listeners, really. This is a listener service. So Okay, like a membership community for your most dedicated listeners. Correct. But the sponsors, and again, you only have so many room for show sponsors, so the companies beyond that group that want to be part of it, they are the primary value to the listener. 
So the way it works is a listener will sign up 50 bucks a year. Sometimes I run sales. Sometimes I run a lifetime sale. So I do that a couple of times, usually really once a year. Like today I did that and we did $4,500 worth of sales in an hour. That was a nice little bonus that we paid ourselves for Christmas. So that listener signs up for whatever duration and they're on an automatic renewal because that's just smart from a business standpoint. Of course, they can cancel anytime they want. And they get a login to the private side of the site. They log into there. And the big value add, again, is we call it the benefits section. They click on benefits. And there's about 70 companies that offer discounts. Imagine if the AAA discounts that AAA says they give you were actually discounts, right? The stuff you actually use. That's kind of what our our program is. We have discounts on firearms, parts, and components. We have discounts on seeds. We have discounts on plants. We have a couple that are kind of like general store of prepping type that have everything and anything you think of. Water filters, Berkey water filters are probably the premier water filter in the prepper space. We have a discount on those. So we have discounts on all these different products. And some of them are not really even prepper products. Like we have one on a company called EcoSense. And I'm like, people will dig that for their, they don't justify to their wives why they have this program. That works. We have one called Olive Basket. Those infused olive oils and, and vinegars. So cooking products, et cetera. So any company thinks they're a good fit, will look at them. And if they are, we'll say, okay, write your own blurb. If you do a membership program and you do discounts, I really encourage you to come up with guidance, like word count, whatever. Make the customer write their own blurb. That way, if anybody doesn't understand something, it's their fault, not yours. You'll change it. You see what I'm saying? Otherwise, like you craft it for them and the customer gets the wrong idea about what the discount means to so you. Make them write their own blurb. We drop them in there. And I shoot to add about six to 12 new partner companies a year. And some of them are small businesses. So you'll have some turnover if you do this. Either they'll stop doing it or the guy will go off and do something else or discontinue the only product he had discounted. My requirement is, one, I don't do a contract, but I expect kind of a virtual handshake. We agree to do this together for a year. So there's stability in my program. If it really doesn't work for you, I'll shut it off. But we go in with kind of the understanding that's the goal. And that the discount not be something you do all the time for everybody anyway. It has to be something that's exclusive. Doesn't mean you can't do it around the holidays or twice a year or something, but my people get access to it 24-7. And as long as they're willing to do that and it's a quality product and I trust the company, I'll bring them on board. And that makes the sale easy because if the customer who listens to you every day looks at the people doing the discounts and says, well, I buy from them already. And I don't buy from them, but I buy that product and I'm happy to buy from them since they support us. And I use herbal supplements and I use this and I do the math in my head and I'm going to get 70 bucks in discounts to give this guy 50 bucks who I like anyway. Well, done. And as long as they're making a profit, they retain. I've had customers that are eight years retained because it just if you had something that's giving you $100 worth of discounts, you're paying 50 bucks for like you have poor financial sense if you cancel that product. Yeah, I like this a lot, actually. This is kind of a digital coupon book in a way. I think in Seattle, we, they used to have like the entertainment book or something we used to get like when we were kids. It's like a digital coupon book or even a Costco membership. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get more than 50 bucks out of this. So it's a no-brainer. I really like that. Is the pitch just on air? Hey, join the support brigade for 50 bucks a year and get access to all these exclusive deals? Yeah, the pitch to the customer, that's how that goes. And I usually do it about three times a week, so it's not over the head beating them up with it. Sometimes it's really short. Sometimes I do actually explain it a little bit more for new listeners. Sometimes I'll hit them with an email. If I do a lifetime sale, like I said, I usually do that once a year. I'll do 15 or 20 of them. 
that'll have a couple posts leading up to it. If I do a sale, I'll do 35 bucks for the first year. That I'll kind of promote a week in advance. And it's kind of cool because you you should join the MSB. Don't do it today. And they're like, wow, he's telling me not to join so I can get a better deal next week. And it it buys you credibility when you're willing to pre-advertise that. But it also kind of primes the sale so the sale becomes a success. It's a lot of fun if you get creative with whatever it is you have to sell. I'm not in the product business, so I kind of have a one-trick pony with that thing. But my other revenue model is an Amazon affiliate. And that went from like a little bit of side income to a business unit. And that became successful with reviewing products, putting them on the website, but making a commitment to people that if you see this product on my website reviewed, you probably can come find it in my house. And they're doing very in-depth reviews. And, and we got a little dicey with the Amazon terms of service. We got a couple Amazon nasty grams about telling people too much about being an affiliate and things like that. And we backed it off. But because we were doing solid actual reviews, and they could see, well, this guy reviewed this thing on this day. He sold 200 of them. Okay, he's legit. He's not scamming the system. But that's our product side. I don't really like that because it's kind of being a digital sharecropper. But it pays really good. Well, are you writing all this stuff? Because I'm going through the site. It seems like there are several of these product type reviews per week. Are you writing all this stuff yourself? One a day. One a day and I write them myself. Now, in the beginning when I started this program, I started doing it about three years ago. And I was churning out one a day. Now I probably turn out two new ones a week and I recycle ones that people have liked. So yeah, I wrote all of those. And that goes back to years of doing copywriting and marketing. So bringing back stuff from the archives and say, hey, you might have missed this product from three years ago. It's still relevant. Yeah, sometimes I just do it. Sometimes I'll tell them it's coming around again. Sometimes I just go, the last time we ran that indoor grow light, we sold 100 of them. It's spring. People are doing their indoor planning now. So I'll just run that again. Sometimes I will find a product that goes on sale and I'll say, I'm bringing this around today because it's marked down 25 bucks. Today, I'm selling the hell out of a product, a little LED lantern called the Siege Lantern from Streamlight because it's on a lightning deal for 20 bucks and normally sells for like $66. So I didn't even do a review of that one. I just did a quick, hey guys, this thing is, because I know that product and my audience go together. So I added that today. And we're selling the hell out of them because it's an easy sale because it's Christmas time. It's on sale really cheap. My concern with Amazon is my sales have gone up and my income's gone down. Last year, they were paying a tiered payout for affiliates. We were selling enough product that we were making a full 8.5% every month. And most products at the end of last year shifted to a flat 4%. So our Amazon income got cut almost in half this year, selling just as much, or if not more. So that kind of sucks, but... To be able to sell anything and everything that your audience could ever want and know that if they don't like it, they can return it, all that good stuff, there isn't anything better, which is partly why they did it. The other part of it is, you can say what you want about being a trillion-dollar company, but they make like a 2% margin. So they only have so much that they can give to an affiliate. Yeah, they've run a lot of years. Like You can see their revenue go up and up and up, and the net income is flat, right around zero. It's kind of crazy. So we got the sponsorship stuff, the member support brigade, the affiliate stuff. Anything else that's ringing the cash register for you today? I do have a Patreon page. I really don't need one, but people are asking about it. So I always think the best way to do something is to set it up. It's kind of a redundant thing with my members program because Patreon is kind of like a members program for people that don't know how to run one. 
But, you know, it's a few hundred bucks. There's people that don't want the membership or they want to be able to set their own what they give you or whatever. So that's a few hundred bucks. I make five, six hundred bucks a month from AdSense content through my YouTube channel just because we have enough of a viewership that, that that's what happens. That business is weird, too. Like, there'll be some stupid little video you do because you're mad. And that'll be one that makes you like 75 bucks a month. I got one from like, I love DeWalt tools. And I saw all these negative reviews about the new 20 volt products when it came out. And the old DeWalt chargers just threw the battery in the charger, right? So the new charger, everybody that was an installed base on the 18 volt that switched to 20, just threw the battery in the charger. And it might work that way or it might not. But what you're supposed to do is click it in like you're installing it into a tool. So I did this like minute and 30 second video basically saying, stop hating on DeWalt. This is how it works. And DeWalt, you idiot, should like put this instruction so people stop leaving you bad reviews. And a couple of home improvement blogs, and I'll pick that thing up, and it gets thousands of views a month, and there's a commercial on it. So that'll make me 50, 70 bucks a month off that one stupid video. So if you're YouTube, and you never know where you're going to hit it, but... Are you pushing any of the podcast content to YouTube, or is it just these random tool instruction videos or whatever separate from the podcast that gets pushed over to YouTube. Occasionally I'll have a segment on the podcast and I'm like, that was a really good rant. And I'll just grab that out and throw some stills and make it a YouTube video. So there are some podcast segments to get on there. One of my expert council members, Charles Humble Mechanic, he's a whole success story in himself as a YouTuber. He usually takes his segments when he records them for the show and does them as a video and puts them on his channel. So that kind of ends up on there. Most of my YouTube stuff, though, is me messing around with my ducks in the backyard, or I built a new aquaponics system, or I'll do a Q&A or something like that. It really isn't directly tied to the podcast, but I always pitch my podcast. I'll always say something at the end, like, if you like this YouTube channel, you'll probably like my podcast. You can get to my podcast by going to survivalpodcast.com or to tspc.co. Yes, Co. it really works. Try it. Just find out if it works. Or all the cool kids are putting it in their phone, try to put it in yours. So I see YouTube more as a funnel. And I do have some cross-pollination back and forth, but my goal is for it to bring people in. But honestly, the membership program is where I should put 90% of my effort because it's 90% of my revenue. And it's a very good way to, as a podcaster to mitigate potential for loss. If I just flat piss off 10% of the MSB and they all quit tomorrow, I won't be happy about it, but I still have an income. If I piss off half my sponsors and I'm getting all my money from them, I've got a problem. So a little bit from a lot of people in a recurrent model is a very stable model. It's why we've been able to grow our revenue despite things like Amazon cutting it in half every year consistently for the nine years that we've been monetized out of the 10 years we've been in business. Did you have the forum from the very get-go? Because it seems like that's an important part of really fostering a community and turning the podcast from a one-to-many medium to a many-to-many medium where, where listeners can communicate with each other. Yeah, definitely. Kind of what you're saying there, I think, is the way I phrase it is that audio is the most powerful form of marketing known to man. Audio is the only content delivery system that you can actually put content to somebody while they're engaged in another activity. So if a person's going to read they have to sit down and look at it. You really shouldn't read while you drive, right? Or if they're going to watch a video, they have to devote 100% of their attention to it. With podcasting and using audio, 
You're able to guys driving in his car, he's listening to your show. He's working out the gym, listening to your show, sitting in a deer blind, listening to your show. Whatever it is, they can multitask with it. And I think it makes it a lot more sticky. And that is what makes podcasting to me the most powerful form of marketing. So then you got to figure out, well, what am I marketing? I'm marketing a lifestyle and these are the things that go along with it. You're marketing having something of your own and these are the things that go along with it. So if a person's out there and the side hustle they want to dig into is podcasting, that's the way you need to come at it if that makes sense. So you talked a little bit about the content schedule today with the five shows a week, the daily product reviews for the Amazon Associates program. Do you ever take a day off, take vacation? Like, do you batch the stuff or how does the production side work? Okay, so the question is, do I ever take a vacation, right? So yeah, I'm about to take a big one every year. And this goes back to my, my years of telecommunications. Most of the companies I worked for back then kind of did a shutdown between Christmas and New Year's. It became a tradition in my family. So Friday will be my last show of the year, and I will shut down on January 2nd, and I pretty much do that every year. I usually take one me-time, real vacation with my wife a year. We usually take 10 days off, and what I'll usually do now with having over 2,300 episodes, I'll do what I call rewind. So I'll pull out, if I'm going to be gone for two weeks, I'll pull out 10 shows from the past, and I will take my original commercial content out of them the advertisements, the standard intro, and I'll record five or six minutes of new content, what's changed, what I was thinking at this time, that type of thing, and I'll amend that to the beginning of it. And that means I can do five of those in about two hours. And I'll, I'll preload those with WordPress to publish Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So when I leave, there's a show every day. It's just a rewind. It's the same thing that the talk radio people do. They'll play you know, a classic episode or whatever. What works really good for what I do, though, is since most of it's evergreen and it's not temporal based, it's not what's going on in the news, that episode is just as relevant today as it was five years ago. So that's how I manage my vacations. And I do speaking engagements, and those they're not vacations for me, but they're vacations as far as the audience is concerned. I'll be gone, and I do the same thing there. But I definitely have downtime. Now, the Christmas downtime, there's just no shows. I'll see you in January. Yeah. You are a content machine, and no question about it. I'm curious if you're doing this all yourself or what your team looks like today. I have no employees. I don't want any employees. I definitely am a smaller business than I could be if I had built a more merchandise-centric company with a team of employees. I did that for 20 years of my life. It made me want to take a cheese grater to my face. I hated having employees because I am so driven I expect people that work for me to be driven the way that I am. And that's something every entrepreneur has to come to terms with. They won't be. If you get one out of a hundred that are, you're lucky. And most of them go off and do something of their own. I rely on my community. My biggest asset as far as a team beyond the audience, so I consider part of the team, would be my expert counsel. And those are the 14 individuals that all have a specialized area that help me produce content once a week for a show. And then I have the admins in the forum. I gave them the forum. I let them monetize that. They have the ad revenue from that. Anything else they can come up with. Well, they also do all of my technical work. Now, I pay them for that separately, but I run two dedicated servers with failover. I know what that is, but I don't know how to do it. So if I need something done, they take care of it. They send me an invoice, and I pretty much outtask anything that I want to do did a site redesign recently. One of those gentlemen did it, but I had other people that could have. He was just willing to and available at the time. I really 
it's me and my wife and my dogs and the ducks. That's that's really the team here, right? So the dog sits on the floor while I podcast and warms my feet up. My wife does all my booking for me when a guest submits a form. She takes it from there. Wednesday morning, like magic, a form shows up on my desk. I research the guest. And by the time we're doing the interview at 1 o'clock, I know enough about them to do the show intelligently. We stay very, very lean on it. So we have no cost. Our costs are all web hosting and anything else I can convince the government's related to the show. Meals out or taking a vacation or something like that. There's no buddy to pay. There's no, you know, what's your margin on a membership? I don't know. The biggest expense is the buck 40 that PayPal or Stripe charges me to run the charge. There is a cost to deliver that, but the cost is the same for a thousand members as it is for 10,000. Yeah. So what's next for you? 10 years deep into this, do you see going for another 10 years? What's got you excited coming up? Well, we're definitely going to make another 10 years unless I kill over and die or something. We did a party this summer for audience members at a restaurant in Fort Worth. And I had people fly in for a three hour party from like LA and Chicago and what have you. And I was like, if I ever needed to understand how important what we're doing, it was how humbling that type of thing was. So we're definitely going to continue doing what we're doing. I think if anything's going to be different, it's going to be that I'm going to be more focused on just doing what we're doing over the years. Like every mistake I made was, Oh, this is a good niche. I'll go into that too. And I'll get a partner to do that with, and I'll back it and I'll market it. And then, Oh God, that's even worse than an employee. I really don't have any big plans for something new or different. We've refined this machine, and we know what it does well. But what I'm measuring my success now is how many Jack, you're a jerk emails do I get a week, which has kind of become a joke where people email me and go, because of you, we were prepared for a blackout, and we got through a layoff. That is now the currency that gives me the feel-good side of the business. Or I started a business because of you, and we're being successful now, and I want to send you a product so you can look at it. He's not doing it so you'll promote it. He's doing it because he's like, I want to show you what I did because of you. That's what I want. I've said people think it's kind of narcissistic. I really don't think it is. What I want is immortality, but I don't want it in my name. I want it in actions of others. I want the businesses that I inspired to be started this year to five years from now be inspiring other people to start business and the people that we've inspired to plant trees, to, to go out and inspire other people to plant trees. And if 30 years, 50 years, whatever from now, I'm pushing up daisy, so to speak. If there's still businesses running and businesses being established that somehow connect back to what we do, if people are still out planting gardens, if still, people are still teaching hard skills to kids instead of just everything being an iPhone, if people are still being prepared because someone told somebody that sold somebody, that type of thing then the goals we have really have been accomplished. That's really powerful stuff. Immortality in the actions of others, the currency of success, is the success of your listeners. I think that's something that any podcast host, any content creator can really strive for. The survivalpodcast.com or tspc.co, tryitout.co, it really works. Jack, thank you so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. My number one tip is go out and pick something and try it. You hear a lot of success stories on Nick's show, or if you come on my show, you'll hear a lot of success stories too. What people tend to forget is that for every success, the person that had it probably had 20 or 30 failures. 
I did a lot of things. Some of them failed. Some of them succeeded until the rug was pulled out from underneath me. I made a ton of money in Google AdSense at one time, back when that was a thing. It went from $7,000 in income to seven hundred to seventy. So we've all had failures. What changes things in your life is saying, I was listening to your show, Nick, and there was a guy talking about flipping stuff on Amazon that he bought on Amazon. I'm like, oh my, what? Like, that sounds so, what? You did what? And like, he did it over and over again. But he tried it. Or the guy that did the yard sales and was selling mostly like through eBay and stuff like that. I'm like, go do something. Pick something. What I love is when somebody hears an idea and they say the words, well, I can do that. And it's in that action that you'll find the next step. In my career, I've had a, a good fortune to meet a lot of really cool people. One guy I met was a dude named Valerie Asnov. This guy was a KGB agent in the former Soviet Union. He was also a Russian Olympic athlete. He was on the Russian judo team back in the early 80s. And he said one of the big things the Russians did with their athletes that was different than what everybody else did is they taught the strategy of survival versus the strategy of victory. If you were in some sort of a competitive combat type sport like judo or boxing, the goal was to survive the next move, the next round, the next second. And if you survive long enough, the opportunity to win would present itself. That's what your folks need to be doing. Get in to these different activities and get in with the mindset of, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to learn how to produce content. I'm going to learn how to edit. I'm going to learn how to write an ad. I'm going to learn how to whatever it is and survive and survive and survive. And sooner or later, you will find the thing that is your passion and your talent where those two converge. And when you find that, grab onto it, run with it and don't stop. And if you do that, you'll find something that works for you. And if you don't, Get used to working for other people because they're really the only two choices you have today. So true. Go pick something, try it out, find that survival mindset, that modern survival mindset, I should say. Jack, thank you again, and we'll catch up with you soon. What would this look like if it were easy? That's a question I've been pondering a bit lately, something I picked up from Tim Ferriss. For whatever challenges you're facing, what would this look like if it were easy? One challenge I know that a lot of entrepreneurs face is bookkeeping and accounting, especially this time of year, but there is an easy button, and that's where our sponsor, FreshBooks.com, comes in. FreshBooks is the award-winning, cloud-based invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for small business owners, freelancers, and side hustlers like us. This is the service I rely on when I need to invoice clients or advertisers, and it's guaranteed to keep you way more organized than that proverbial shoebox filled with receipts. Now's the perfect time to get your financial systems in order on both the revenue and expense side of your business. FreshBooks has got some cool tools built in to help with both of those. And the best part, Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days with no catch and no credit card required. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap 
and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with Jack. Number one is to climb the listener pyramid. And this could be the reader pyramid or the viewer pyramid, whatever type of content you're creating. But basically what I mean by this is having a plan in place or a system to convert strangers into listeners, listeners into subscribers, and subscribers into fans. Jack touched on each of those conversion points in this conversation. How am I going to reach new people who've never heard of me? How am I going to get them to become regular listeners? And usually this happens with some form of helpful content, like, hey, this guy helped me out once. I better keep tuning in. And finally, how am I going to turn those subscribers into advocates, into customers, into fans? Jack shared his giveaway contest in the early days, how he structures his content, and his membership model. And they really all go back to this listener pyramid. As a content creator, you might think of this with everything you do, every project that you tackle, how does this ascend someone to the next level? How does it serve them? So that's takeaway number one, climb the listener pyramid. Takeaway number two is to own a word or phrase in the minds of your customers. Jack talked about modern survival and how he basically coined that term. A few weeks ago, April Whitney talked about owning petite fitness, even though no one was necessarily looking for that exact phrase at the beginning. This comes from a book, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. It's a classic, definitely worth a read if you haven't picked that one up. But the idea is that your goal as a marketer is to own a word or phrase in your customers' minds. Like, I want to own the phrase side hustle in your mind. Sure, other people can compete for that word, and that's fine, but That's my goal, just as it's Jack's goal to own modern survival. So that's takeaway number two, own a word or phrase in the minds of your customers. And sometimes that was going to come with some narrowing down of your focus. Takeaway number three is what are you really marketing? One of the most powerful sound bites from this episode, in my mind at least, was just that. What are you marketing? I'm marketing a lifestyle. That's a challenging thing to market, especially if it means hard changes on the part of your customer. But it's a great thing to market because it can become part of people's identity. What are you marketing? I'm marketing a lifestyle. I'm marketing the modern survival lifestyle. Here's how it works. Are you in? Are you out? And I think that's one reason the show grew so quickly. It's really similar to the story of Choose FI, even though they came around about eight years after Jack did. What are they marketing? They're marketing a lifestyle, a lifestyle of financial independence. Here's how it works. Are you in? Are you out? That's takeaway number three. What are you really marketing? And then that last bit, immortality through the actions of others. The currency of success is the success of listeners. Build something that serves others, that helps others, and the legacy will long outlive your work. Great stuff. Call that a rare fourth takeaway. Uh, Once again, notes and links for this episode, along with the full text summary 
just hit up sidehustlenation.com slash jack. And that's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where I'm actually taking a page out of Jack's playbook and diving back into the listener mailbag for another round of 20 questions with Nick. I'll see you then. Hustle on.